so what we're doing is we are working through um, as a church plan, what do we believe? And we're taking it from a book called Doctrine by Mark Driscoll and Gary Brashears. Um, it's in 13 parts. It kind of has the, the picture, the scope of what, what does scripture teach? What should we believe about things? And if you, I hope you have noticed, maybe you, maybe you have, and I don't know if we've done a good enough job explaining it, but the, what we're doing is we're not just giving random doctrines, but we're starting with the beginning and we're working through the story of scripture and teaching you and teaching and working through what does the Bible teach. And so we started with Trinity, God is. That means that our understanding of creation, our understanding of this world, who God is, who we are, has to begin with the, with the fact that God is and that he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that has certain meanings to us. And then we talked about how um, the doctrine of revelation, that is that it's not the last book of the Bible, it's, it's that God speaks to us, which is a miracle in itself, that God who is invisible to us, we can't see what he has done and what he is doing, but we can't see him himself. We, in fact, we were separated by, from him, which Dale talked about last week, by sin, and yet he reveals to us truths about himself, about this world, and about us. That's a great miracle, and the fact that we have his revelation in the Holy Scriptures is an amazing, amazing treasure. And then we talked about creation. Dale did a great job talking about the fact that God creates, God created the world. He's a creating God. And that's why we in his image are creators. We are, uh, we like to build things, grow things, draw things. I'm terrible at that, but seeing things, I'm not good at that either, but anything artistic, I'm not you know, that's not my, really my wheelhouse, but other people I see are great at it. And that, in, in, in doing so, we are following after our Father God who created us in his image, himself a creator. He created this world and this universe. And we talked about the fact that, that that's, that's the truth. We don't understand it. We don't know exactly how he did it. There's lots of different philosophies and theories about how it happened, but he did it. And then the next thing we talked about is image. God loves it, that we were created in his image. And what does that mean that we as human beings were created in the image of God? That we reflect, are made to reflect him to creation and reflect creation back to him in worship. And then uh, last week, uh, um, it's funny because I was supposed to talk about the fall the week before last, whenever I decided to talk about something different, because that's my prerogative to make that call. Hey, we're going to go in a different direction tonight. And then Dale got stuck with the fall. So he had to deliver the bad news last week, but he did a really good job of that. And that's, if you didn't get to hear it, it's up on the website. You should definitely listen to it. It talks about how it's, it's a, the terrible story of how mankind fell. And what does that mean that we sin and we were separated from God? And so tonight we're going to talk about covenants. We're going to talk about covenant and the fact that God pursues. And here's the importance of why we're talking about doctrine. Because, because what we believe about, and this is pretty obvious, if, even saying it out loud, but it's something that, quite honestly, the American church, many parts of it, is not very good at. The truth is that what you believe about who God is what, has, what God has said and is saying, what God has done and is doing, who we are and how we got to be this way and what we are supposed to be in the future matters a lot. And what the American church has done in the past is we were pretty strong on teaching and people learned who God is. We were strong on learning the scriptures. But then um, what happens is we, we get to a point where we assume that we know what we're talking about. And one generation assumes, and the next generation forgets, and the next generation rejects. And that's what happens, and that's what has happened in America. We assumed we all knew what we were talking about, so we didn't talk about it anymore. Then the next generation forgot it, and the next generation totally rejected it. And so the first time in American history, the, the new... Uh, one in five Americans 
do not believe in any sort of God, not just the God of the Bible, but any God whatsoever. And when you go under the age of 30, the, the percentage jumps to one in three. One in three Americans under the age of 30 have no beliefs whatsoever about God or about religion, anything. So that's how we get to the point where we are. So that's what we're trying to develop this good foundation of who we're, what we're about our four values and what we believe in this doctrine series. We're trying to lay a good foundation, build a good team. And, and just by the way, before we even get into the real deal, um, team, I, don't, I haven't said this in a while, team, a team understanding of ministry is super important to my philosophy of what it means to be a church and what it means to be a church plant. Uh, Megan and I... It reminds me a little bit of doing what we're, what we're doing here. We, we were a part of a team um, before um, we got married, and it was during the, the period that we got engaged and got married, and then afterwards. Um, the, the youth ministry of the church that we were a part of um, dwindled to two, two youth were left. Two teenagers were left in the church, a church of uh, about 300, 350 people. Two, two teenagers were left. So that was not good. So this guy, um, who would be the least likely person you would expect to be a youth pastor, suddenly one day wakes up and says, I believe God's calling me to the youth in this church. And so he starts to say, hey, we're going to do something with the youth. Anybody interested in being part of the team, come to these meetings, we'll start doing it. And so it's kind of the process that we've been doing here, that it's like some people came on in the beginning or thought, oh, that's who the team's going to be. And then some over time, like, time has passed, and then, like, it was a totally different group of people that were kind of still hanging around. And he, we started the ministry together as an unlikely group of people. Uh, probably not the most gifted people, but people who really loved Jesus, were really passionate about him, and wanted to see teenagers' lives changed. And over time, he did a great job of... It wasn't him doing the ministry and we were here to help him. He developed us as a team together. He helped us discover what our strengths and giftings were, what, what were our spiritual gifts, how had God called us to be a part. And then he empowered us to do those things that God had called us to do. And he, it was like, it was awesome because this team started to work together like, a, like two dancers, um, Megan loves it when I use this analogy because I'm such a terrible dancer. And we, we took dance. That's a whole other story. Um, ballroom dancing. Um, we were not the best couple in the room. Um, and everybody knew it. But uh, that's, a, that's, that's a whole other story. Um, anyway. But, you know, a, my understanding is a, a couple that's really good at dancing it starts off the guys leading, but over time they become in tune with what they're doing and they anticipate what each other is going to do without even communicating. They, they sense it. They, they know each other. They know the music. They know how they're going to respond. They know what to do. It's a beautiful dance. And that team got to that level where we knew what each other was, gift, was gifted in and those people would step up and be empowered to use their giftings in the way God had called them to be and the rest of us in that point would kind of step back and help that person then somebody else would step forward and it was like a beautiful dance and it was amazing because there was no honestly, there was no animosity or jealousy between people that somebody was very gifted in another way, we celebrated that. And somebody else was gifted in another way, we celebrated that. And we worked together like an amazing team. And not only that, but when we weren't, when we weren't ministering together, and we were together a lot, we were all volunteer, we had nobody on staff. Eventually the youth group grew from two people to about 100 kids. And we had nobody on staff for youth. It was a, it was a, it was a team effort. Um, but not only did we minister together, but... In the off days, we hung out together because we loved each other. And that's who we really enjoyed being around. And so that experience ruined ministry for Megan and I. You know, we've always longed, like, if we ever are in a position, that's what we want to be a part of. And so I'm very excited to see the team that God is pulling together here and how we're going to grow, what other team members he's going to pull to be a part, and what's going to happen as we 
process. So I'm sorry, I ate up a lot of my time doing that, but I just wanted to tell you guys about team. All right, tonight we're going to talk about covenant. Um, we're going to do a little more participation tonight than just me talking, hopefully. Um, Dale did a really good job of giving us the bad news and then foreshadowing the good news and eating up part of my good news, but we'll, we'll go there. Um, let's go to the bad news here. Um, in the middle of the garden, Genesis 3, verse 8, and so Adam and Eve, we know this story. We've been talking about it the past few weeks. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking the garden, the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard, can you imagine that feeling to have committed the sin and you can't change it, you can't go back? Have you ever said something to your spouse or to a friend and as soon as it's coming out of your mouth, you're like, I'm going to regret that for a very, very, very long time. I, I said something to Megan one time. Um, I didn't, the, 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 well, there's a few. We call them, we call them Randyisms because I just like, it just afterwards, I'm like, wow, that's really, really bad. But, uh, but they just seem to fall out of my mouth. Um, this one, I didn't even realize it at the time. But uh, we were on the beach, and Megan was pregnant. And um, I forget what we were doing, we were playing around. And it's like she jumped up in my arms, and I was carrying her. And I was stumbled for a minute. I'm like, oh, wow, your weight has redistributed, has, re <laughs> has been redistributed and um, <laughs> what I meant was I was used there was a certain balance when I picked her up I knew how to hold her but it, it had shifted the weight I wasn't saying there was more I'm just saying it had shifted it was a different center of gravity than there was before but apparently as I didn't realize at the time uh, that was not a very good thing and 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 that comment stuck around for a, a very long, very, very, very long time. And there's, sometimes you say something, and as it's coming out, you're like, oh, man, that's really, really bad, but there's no going back. You can't pull it back. Yes, exactly. It's just stuck, hanging there. The bad news is done. And can you, like, if you have ever betrayed a friend or betrayed a spouse or done something that was really bad, and you're like, I wish I could take it back, and I just can't, that feeling, can you imagine what Adam and Eve must have felt like when God said, where are you? Verse 10, and Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And there, just, just for the record, um, this is a southern translation. God said, who told you you were naked? Not naked, naked. That's, there's a difference between the two. One is like you can have... Yeah, N naked, naked is, well, actually, naked is naked. Naked, you might have a ring on or a sock on or something, but naked is like just totally, it's just totally, who told you you were naked? He said, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, that woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. He points the finger at her and then she points the woman, the, the finger at him when God says, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, he gives out curses now, because you have done this, curse you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life, I will put enmity between you and the woman. But here's the thing, right here sandwiched in the middle of the consequences, the curses that the serpent and Adam and Eve get. It's some really good news. It's the first um, inkling of a new covenant. And between your, he's speaking, speaking to the serpent, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what theologians call the proto-evangelion. It just <laughs> And it just means, it sounds like something from Star Wars, but actually... It actually just means, yeah, it means the first gospel. This is the first time we see an inkling of the gospel when God says between your seed or your offspring, that it, the, 
wording there is singular, not plural. And between, between your offspring and between her offspring, that, that one is singular. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. So already he's pointing. And then again, he points to Jesus when you see... Um, Um, verse 20 the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living verse 21 and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them so we see also that God starts to make provision for Adam and Eve in their sin that he God himself performs the first sacrifice and blood is shed for Adam and Eve's sin, and God then takes the the, uh, the coat from the animal and makes clothes for Adam and Eve. So we see the first good news starting to come out, the first inkling of a covenant. What is a covenant? Do you guys know? Sovereign promise, the contract. Anybody else? A covenant, um, Palmer Robertson said, a covenant is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. A covenant is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. And so it's important to understand the concept of covenant because this is the way that God has dealt with human beings throughout history. It's the way he starts in the garden, he does it all the way through the Old Testament and even to today. When God enters into a covenantal relationship with humanity, God sovereignly institutes a life and death bond. Thus, and this is going to be our definition of what a covenant is, a covenant is a life and death relationship with God on his terms. Okay? A covenant is is a life and death relationship with God on his terms. So we're going to take, literally, literally to talk on covenant and do it well, I would have to teach for 10 weeks. And you guys would be so excited about that. <laughs> but we're going to take a, not a 36,000 feet view. We're going to take, we're going to take like a space view. We're going to go up and just like fly over real quick in orbit and see the six major covenants that God has dealt with humanity with. And um, as we do, uh, there are five aspects of a covenant, okay? So stick with me through this. There's five aspects of every covenant. This is where God makes a, a God makes, he doesn't make a deal. God makes a promise with somebody and it's on his terms. It's a life and death relationship with God on his terms. There's five aspects. First of all, there's a mediator. That is, who is the man that God is dealing with on earth? And that, that mediator is um, not only going to be one person, but it's often going to represent a people. And we'll, we'll see that. Stick with me. We'll, we'll see that coming up. The second aspect is a mediator. The second aspect is there's blessings. God says, I'm going to make this covenant with you, and these are the blessings that I'm going to bestow upon you as a part of this covenant. So he starts out with Adam. This could be the first one we're going to get into. And he says, Adam, this is the covenant. He's, Adam's the mediator. He's going to then say, these are the blessings of the covenant. And then the third thing is there are conditions. He says, so these are the blessings that you're going to get as long as you do this, or as long as this is done. That's the conditions. Then there's a sign, the fourth thing. There's a mediator, blessings, conditions, and the fourth thing is there's a sign. So there's some, something that signifies or seals and helps to remember what the covenant is, the sign. And the fourth, the fifth thing, excuse me, is there's a form or a how does the covenant create a new community? Every covenant creates a new covenant community. So we're going to look at those. So keep those in aspects. I'm going to be asking you questions about those five aspects in each of these six covenants that we're going to fly over really fast. And then we're going to talk about how it actually does affect the way that we view God and that we live life. So mediator, blessings, conditions, sign, or form, or new community. All right, but first of all, 
Genesis chapter 16. 16, is that right? No, I feel like, I feel I put that wrong. 1 6. Genesis chapter 1? Yeah, I feel that it's not. He's not talking about Adam and Eve in 16. I put the, I put it the wrong uh, put the wrong reference here. Let me just make sure. I'm not uh, Yeah. One um It's actually this whole section. It starts in 1 6 and it goes through chapter 2 and into chapter 3. Um find a good reference point here. We'll start in verse 26, chapter 1. Then God said, we've, and we've talked about this almost every week in this series. This, this section is so foundational how we understand God and creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the field, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And then, um, and then down. In verse. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, this is the first covenant that we see in Scripture. It is what we call the Adamic covenant. That's because it's with Adam. Also, it's fun to say Adamic in church and nobody get angry with you because it's just, you know, well, I'll let you read into that. Adamic covenant. Okay, so first of all, who is the mediator in this covenant? Who is God dealing with? Adam. Absolutely, Adam. Adam is the, the man, and you're right, man. So who is Adam representing in this covenant? Man. All of mankind, absolutely. Um, second, what are the blessings that God promises in this covenant? Free food and naked women. <laughs> Sounds like Myrtle Beach in the summer. <laughs> except, without, except without consequences. <laughs> Your daughter is shocked, but, uh, you know, not a bad deal. <laughs> what, 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 are, what are the blessings? God, he absolutely, he, he, he's, what else does he say? He's going to give you dominion. Over everything. <laughs> well, that's like, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> eternal, eternal life, absolutely. You're going to have dominion. You're going to be the boss of everything. A good job, right? I mean, not middle management. I mean, he's upper man. He's got the corner office. He's over it all. You're going to be over all of it. That's a pretty cool deal. What are the conditions of the covenant? Pretty simple, right? Don't eat of the tree. You can do, you can, all this is yours except this little thing right here. Um, and then what is the, what is the, you know, this is a question I don't know the answer to because I haven't really thought about this. What is the, what is the sign of the Adamic covenant? Death. Yeah, uh, I don't know. He said you will surely die. So I think that yeah. would be the, how do they remember it? I don't know. But by making babies, that might be it. You know, then doing the thing that you do in order to make babies. That, I, don't, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to study that. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. And then uh, this is pretty easy. Number five, what is the form? What is the form? What's, or what's the new community 
there's a covenant community that's created through this. Humanity. This is easy. Humanity, absolutely. So that's very simple. All right. So the next covenant that we see, the next major covenant, there's some other smaller covenants that God does, but these are the major covenants that really shape culture and shape life. Not just shape the Christian faith, but shape life in general. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18. This is Noah after the flood. I mean, during the flood, I'm sorry, before. I just said after, during, and before. This is during the preparation. This is during the preparation for the flood when God comes and talks to Noah in the very beginning. Which, by the way, just on a side, on a side note, um, back, back in verse 9 of chapter 6 when it says these are the generations of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Noah walked with, with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, if you look at, in the wording of that, it doesn't mean that Noah was the only good man on the face of the earth, and so that's why God came and picked Noah. It says that he is favored with God. And he was favored with God the same way Abraham, that we're going to see, was favored with God, not by works, but because God put his favor upon him. It doesn't, also doesn't say that Abraham was the only good man on the face of the earth at the time. That's why God picked Abraham, the country of Ur. It says that he was favored. But we'll, we can talk about that another time. That's not really the point. Verse 18. We'll start with verse 17 because that's the, the first part. Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife's with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Um, and then he talks about you know, all the birds and everything, two by two, they're going to come. And food, you're going to take that too. And then verse 22, and Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And so we're not going to cover the whole story Hopefully you guys are somewhat familiar with Noah and the flood. If you grew up in church, certainly you know the felt board story. And you had the felt board ark, and you put the felt board Noah and the ark, and you had all the animals. Um, so first of all, what is the, who is the mediator of the covenant that God makes with Noah? Or the Noahic covenant? Noah. Noah, absolutely. And who is Noah representing as the mediator in this covenant. Again, this story, it mirrors a lot the, the creation story. There's a man and a woman, and, and nobody else is alive when this, this whole story is done. And there's animals, and God makes a new covenant with them at each time. All right. So he's representing all of man. What are the, what are the blessings of this covenant? I think he gives some later on. Look at... Uh, Look at, yeah, he's going to get a lot. Look at verse 20 of chapter 8. This is when uh, Noah and his wives get out of the boat. Can you imagine um, how glad they were to get some fresh air um, coming out of that stinky boat? Verse 20 of chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is, this is interesting as well. This is also some proof that Noah wasn't, um, he just wasn't like he was a really good man and he deserved to be spared. He comes out after he and his family alone are spared and he built an altar to the Lord and then took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That had to be a long, long time, right? I mean, that's, that's quite the sacrifice. Exactly. I mean, that wouldn't be a fun job. I'm glad, I'm glad that's not the job of a, a priest anymore. And when, the, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So what are the, what are the blessings of this covenant? Absolutely. I mean, that is the blessing. God's not going to destroy the earth again. Not only that, and this is something I've really never noticed before, um, before I was studying it this week, 
And then he says, not only does he say, never again will I strike down every living creature. He says, while earth, no, he doesn't just promise I won't destroy it. He says, while earth remains, winter, summer, spring, fall, day, night, it won't cease. We're going to... Don't worry about global warming. Okay? <laughs> he, says, he says, the seasons, day and night, there's not going to be calamity. Like All the things that we take for certain, that the sun's going to come up in the morning. He's saying, I didn't just spin this universe in existence and it just keeps on going because I spun it. It stays going because... Absolutely. Absolutely. And so he will keep that. That's the blessings. What are the conditions of this covenant? Absolutely. Noah had to obey and build the ark. And it said that he obeyed him. What is the sign of this covenant? This is the easy one and a fun one. A rainbow. Absolutely. One of Sophia's favorite things. Sometimes I tell her when I put her to bed, I said, Sophia, go to sleep and dream of rainbows and sparkles. And she's like, I love that. <laughs> so what's the form? What's the, what's the new covenant community that is created by this? Wicked humanity is the revelation. Absolutely. But it is humanity. Absolutely. All of humanity. Do you raise your hand? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, and, and, and basically all of Noah's descendants. Yes. So not only do we have Adam and Eve but we have Noah and his wife. Absolutely. So, so that's, that's Yep, exactly. That's why his dealings with Noah, the covenant, looks somewhat similar, sort of mirrors the Adamic covenant because he's starting over both times. All right. Uh, number three, we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. Can you guess who that involves? I can't think of That's a good guess. Terrible guess, Hudson. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. Some people say there's no wrong answers. There are here. There, there are wrong and very bad and answers. There's and there's always stupid questions. So there is a lot. A, I can't teach the whole story of Abram, but he. Abram lived in outside Babylon in Ur, and it's interesting that you have the story right before this, the Tower of Babylon, and God tears it down and scatters them, and there's all the confusion and new languages. And the next thing we see is Abraham hanging out in Ur, and God chooses for some reason, he just chooses Abraham. This is who I'm going to make a covenant with. And he comes and tells Abram to, to leave the land of Ur and to go out to a place that he will show him and then he promises him that he's going to give him a land and then he promises he's going to give him a people and a son and, uh, and peoples. Hmm? It starts in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 14, Genesis 15 is when we get to um, the part that we're going to deal with. Um, verse, we'll start in verse 1. It's a long section. Chapter 15, in fact, it's the whole chapter, but we'll breeze through this, so we'll, again, I'm trying to, I'm really, really trying. Then after these things, the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. So God's already promised that he's going to give him heirs, he's going to give, make of him a great nation, but nothing's happened. Ten years has passed, nothing has happened. Um... I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man should not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he, this is one of the key verses in the entire Bible. Genesis 15, 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted, counted it to him as righteousness that he believed. Verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. So there's like two lines of dead half carcasses, which is 
you know, awesome as well. It reminds me of Saturday nights during hunting season out where I grew up. Just, they're just everywhere, the carcasses. And they weren't cut in axes. They don't cut the hard way. Yeah, yeah just split them out and lay one half over here and one half over here. Um, but he did not cut the birds in half because they're very difficult to cut in half. When the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. There will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and after they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. This is really weird. Passed between those two, these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the, Ken- the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, all the other ites. <laughs> That's what he said. Um, which, is, which, by the way, also, interesting enough, is about the same um, borders as the original Garden of Eden. Interesting thing that the land that he gave him was bordered by those rivers. So, Abrahamic covenant, there's five aspects. Who is the mediator of this covenant? Abraham. Who is he representing now? This is where it starts to, to turn. It's kind of funneling down a little bit. Who is he representing? The Hebrews. The Hebrews, yes. Absolutely. A whole new nation, a new people. Well, and uh, the, the thing was, the reason that it passed between Adam is because when people were coming to them, they were passing out saying that he did not make a part of the old. He would exactly. So only one person passed, showing that not Abram wasn't going to get anything. That's the interesting thing. Again, you're smart. So, so God comes down when, when men would covenant together, exactly, they would both pass through the cut carcasses and they were saying, if you break this, may you be like this, make something cut you in half. Like that's, that's pretty serious. God himself makes this covenant though. God institutes. And that's why our definition of what a covenant with God is, a life and death relationship with God on his terms he does it. He institutes it, and he's going to see it through to the end. That's why it's so important to understand that whenever the, the covenant he made with Noah wasn't about Noah's righteousness. The covenant he makes with Abram isn't about Abram's righteousness. It's about his favor that he places upon them. What are the blessings of this covenant? Descendants. Mm-hmm. Land, descendants, a nation, his own child, his own child absolutely. And another part that we didn't even cover, he, he tells him that he, again, God speaks the gospel and tells Abraham that from him all the nations of the world will be blessed. So he's talking about something that's to come even, even beyond. He's talking about Jesus there. What are the conditions of this covenant? Yes. Yeah, the condition was for him to believe. What are the what are the sign what was the sign of this covenant? Chopped up animals. Chopped up animals, absolutely. And now, another sign was that he was gonna live to be really old. That's true. And what absolutely, yeah. Um, there's another sign that comes in that we didn't cover in this passage that involves uh, part of the male anatomy that the he Abram, Abraham at 90 years old gets cut. I hope he didn't do it himself because that would be a real man if he did it himself. But somehow, one or the other, at 90 years old, there's either a knife or a sharp stone involved and there is blood to seal this covenant. That's a sign. And he said it was established as a sign for all the descendants of Abram. All the male descendants obviously would go through that sign. What's the form? What's the new covenant community that is created? The Hebrews. The the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And he reminds them over and over in scripture that it's not because of what they had done that he chose them, but that he chose them because they were the least. And he put his favor upon them above other nations, not because of anything that they had earned, but because 
He had simply placed it upon them. All right. Absolutely. So now we're going to, we're round in the bend. We're on the back half here. The fourth big covenant, Exodus chapter 24. This is the Mosaic covenant. What we're showing is that this is the way that God has dealt with man. And there's certain aspects that we're going to talk about what that, what that means as we uh, lock this thing up. Um. I don't have time to read this whole section to you. We're going to start in verse 3. This is when God is giving, um, Moses was up on the mountain. And God sent messages to the people of Israel that they should not come near the mountain or touch it lest they die. And God is up meeting with Moses and giving him the loss. Hmm? Uh, Exodus 24, we're going to start in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So God himself writes down and gives Moses the rules, the commands that he's given his people. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings. You guys see a, a theme through these? Who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be Obedient, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Um, there's a, another section I was going to look for. And, but uh, I, really, I really don't have time to get too, too much into this. Um, Hopefully you guys have seen the movie and you're somewhat familiar <laughs> with what happens here. Um, Charlton Heston comes down from the mountain and uh, God makes a new covenant with the people of Israel. Oh, I already gave you part of the answer. He makes a new covenant. Who is the mediator that he deals <clears throat> with in this instance? Moses. Moses, absolutely. Who does Moses represent? The Israelites. Absolutely. The Hebrews, the Israelites, absolutely. Right on. Um, if you're familiar with this section, can you tell me what are the blessings that he promises to Moses and to the people of Israel? Yeah, that's absolutely one of the promises. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He, he's already delivered them. The land of milk and honey. You will go into the land of milk and honey. You will prosper. You'll be safe. I will set you up as a as a great nation. That's one of the promises that he gives to them. Any others that you can? And those are the, the biggies. What are the conditions that he places upon this covenant? Absolutely. So you see what's happening is you see the beginning with the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant. Um, the funnel starts to get tighter and tighter. And as it gets tighter, the conditions get what? Bigger and bigger. First, it's just don't eat this fruit. And now it's starting to, start to narrow, narrow, narrow. That's why they're like, yeah, we'll wait. And then the next chapter, you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> I mean, they were very faithful for like two and a half days. Yeah. <laughs> It's sort of like me on a diet. I go, oh, this is great. Give me some french fries. I'm not equating sin to french fries, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so the conditions are what? Follow the law. Follow the law. All this law, you have to keep it all. What's the sign that he institutes? Okay, so you have to think about this because it's not in this section that we read, think about the story of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt and how that happened. How did he get them out of there? What's the sign that he institutes? 
It involves, it involves shed blood. The Passover meal, absolutely. You spread the blood over the lintels of the house, doorposts of the house. You have the lamb that you have slaughtered, that, you've, that you bring them in and you eat it all that night. The bitter herbs, the bread, all of that has to be consumed. All that night has to be done away with. And, and from then on, they were, it was, he instituted that as a meal that they would have once a year to remember. To remember what he had done to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What is the form of the new covenant community that is created out of this? The nation that takes it's a nation. Absolutely. It's different now than just a people. They were just a really big family, right? I mean, Abraham was their dad, and all, he, you know, obviously God finally did bless them, and, you know, they start having babies, and there's, we think, maybe up to a million, million of them. I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing family. They've been a family, but now they're going to be a nation. They start to have rules, laws, a sense of identity. They're going to enter into this land. They're going to have borders. They're going to have government. He's setting them up as a nation, a new covenant community. So fast forward in this new covenant community. Let's look at, um, again, you're going to have to... We don't have time to cover the whole thing. Look at Psalm 89. We're going to talk about the Davidic covenant. Who do you think that's talking about? David. David. Absolutely. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. We'll start with verse 1. We won't cover the whole thing again. It's a great psalm, but it's a long one. Um, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Faithfulness. Just think about that in regards to covenant. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. By the way, that word steadfast love, when you see that kind of wording in the Old Testament, he's talking about the Greek word there is I don't even try to pronounce it. It's said, um, and it's talking about God's covenant love with his people. That's based upon the covenant he made with them, not upon their performance or what they are, because they're beautiful in themselves, but it's his covenant love that he has set upon them. His steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, this is our key, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. God had made a covenant with David and he made it. He, and that's exactly what he told him. He said he would make him um, king and that he would make his descendants king. They would sit on the, upon the throne in Jerusalem forever and ever. So, again, I don't have time to go in the whole thing, but maybe you're familiar with the story. Let's, let's talk about who is the mediator in the Davidic covenant? David. You guys are assured of at least 20% on each of these exams because it's the, who the mediator is is in the name of the covenant. So, the Davidic covenant, God makes a, a, deal, a covenant with David. Who is David representing? Yes, the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel. What are the blessings that he gives that he promises to David? Yes, that the throne, your descendant will sit upon. That's a big deal. Households were a huge deal. Uh, there was no guarantee. They didn't have a, a, a system of laws like we have where we have some sort of semblance that power is going to shift peacefully every four years or every eight years or however often it, it when you died it was it was all up for grabs and god promised him i'm going to give your household stability a, a throne i will put your descendants on your throne forever and when he promises that he's promising the king who will come we see when jesus is born we see painstaking efforts to connect his genealogy back to who David. Back to David to show that he was in the line of David. He was the king that was promised from old. That, that, that he said, 
that's, this is the descendant that I'm going to give in your line. All right, what are the, you said the blessings, what are the conditions? Uh, we didn't cover it here. Are you guys familiar with the story? What are the conditions of this? It was faithfulness to God. It was, it was obedience to God. He said, if you will do this, if you will observe all that I've given you, I, then I will have a person on the throne forever. Um, what's the new covenant community that he is, that is being created that he's pointing to? Yes, Jesus, the Davidic line that would sit on the throne forever. Okay, so those are the five major Old Testament covenants. But all through the Old Testament, we see this promise of a new covenant that will come. Look at Jeremiah 31. He gives it over and over again in different ways. And he often uses similar language whenever he does it. Um, and this is one of the key ones. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. He keeps pointing to a new covenant that is coming. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. By covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law, what? Within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So all of these, all of these covenants God makes with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. He, what, are the, what's, what do they have in common whenever a guy gives the conditions? What do what all five of those covenants have in common? They get broken. Every single one of them. Adam's in a perfect garden. There's only one thing he can't do. He breaks it. Noah, he's not off... He's not off the ship too long. He plants a vineyard, makes some wine. Not a bad thing to do. But then he gets drunk. He's laying. Yeah. He didn't really get drunk. He was tipsy. Well, yes. No. Tips, tipsy, enough, <laughs> tipsy enough that he passes out. Amazing Naked. I mean, he had a. He, he, had, he, he, had, he had a redneck Saturday night, is what he had. I mean. The whole, the whole thing is pretty, it's, it's, it's very, very backwoods kind of thing going on here. He makes some new wine. He gets drunk. He falls down naked, naked asleep in his tent. His son comes in and sees him. That's all we know that happened. We don't know. Like, we're left to fill in the blanks. Like, what was going on? We don't know. It's kind of weird. He comes into his dad's tent. His dad's passed out naked. And then it's something's bad enough that God curses his son because of it. And I mean, anyway, they're, they're just sinning all over the place right off the bat. Abraham, Abraham sins over and over again. Abraham tries to pimp out his wife twice. He tries, literally, I'm not, he literally tries to pimp out his wife twice to kings of the areas that they're walking through. You'd think he would have learned it the first time. He sins over and over again. He lies. The Mosaic Covenant, Grace already gave us, he says, this is my covenant. The, the Israelites are like, yes, we'll obey everything you say and do. And what, a couple of days later, they're, they're, they're boiling down, they're, they're burning down their bracelets and everything, building a cow and worshiping it and dancing all around it, saying, it's God. <laughs> like, they break it. David, he's a man after God's own heart, and he, what, totally blows it, right? I mean, has a man killed in battle in order that he can get with his wife who he's already got pregnant. I mean, it's like, again, it's like a Jerry Springer episode. I mean, it's just bad stuff going on. They break every single one. But God says, here's the good news. There's a new covenant I'm going to make, and I'm going to make it foolproof. 
because you guys are a bunch of fools. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. There we go. We'll start at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. You guys know where we are right now. We have the Lord's Supper. It's the night that he's going to be betrayed. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, again, we see blood, we see sacrifice, but it's different now. Who is the mediator of this covenant? Jesus, absolutely. It's always the right answer in Sunday school, Jesus. You just always say Jesus. So, so Jesus, who, who is Jesus representing in this covenant? Us, God's people. Go ahead. I was going to say Christianity, but. Yes. He represents the Yes. And that's, we'll get into, the, that's the, one of the amazing parts of the story is what Jesus is in this covenant. What are the blessings that God that God gives in the new covenant. Being reunited with him. Being reunited reunited with him, absolutely. Eternal life in heaven. heaven. Think about Christ's righteousness. Think about the section that we read in Jeremiah 31, the promises that he gave to them. Sin is not accounted to them. So it's not based on our performance. We don't have any rules to keep. Now you see us, yes. Um, he says, I'll give you a new heart. I will, I will dwell in you and among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will, you're not going to forget it anymore because I'm going to write it in your heart. He turns it all on his head. Um, then what are the conditions of this covenant? Believe. Absolutely. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, belief. Belief. Faith. That's it. Nice if you listen to this stuff, but just believe What are the, uh, what's the sign of this covenant? We just read about it. The Holy Spirit in us. Holy Spirit in us, absolutely. Now, what, what is it that we celebrate that reminds us that, that hearkens back to the covenant? Easter and communion. Think, absolutely. Think about what was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. That was what, what are we talking about? The Passover? This, this meal is the Passover meal that Jesus is sitting at. He's fulfilling the Passover meal, and then he says, as often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. That's why when we begin, after we launch our worship gatherings, we're going to have communion every week because we need to be reminded. It reminds us of the new covenant that was in his blood. So what's the form of the new covenant community that is created by the new covenant? Absolutely. Believers. Um, How? Okay. So the new covenant and we, we don't have time to go through all this, but you have to think about it. Trust me, you can study it if you like. We can talk about it later. The new covenant relates to and fulfills each of the old covenants. The Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. All of those, it relates back to all of those. Jesus is the new and better Adam. Jesus is the new and better Noah. He makes all these comparisons. Jesus is the new and better Abraham, the new and better Moses, the new and better David. He, he fulfills and relates to all of those old covenants and 
he fulfills all of those. And think about what he does in this. He is, so we saw how God is the one that walked between the carcasses and created the Abrahamic covenant. But Jesus not only is the one that does that, he's the carcass that was broken for us. He is, he is the mediator. He is the sacrifice. He is the one who the promise was made to. He's the keeper of it. It's all of it. It's all of him, through him, for him, back to him. He gets all the glory for it. He's the one that fulfills the conditions in us. It's by grace through faith, so it's not by any conditions that we merit, that we did this or checked this off or performed a particular ritual. He did it all for us on our behalf. All right. Ask a couple questions, and then we'll be done. This has gone on a long time, but there's a lot to cover. Um, So... If we see the covenantal love of God working out through all these covenants, then fulfilled in the new covenant, how should, thinking the way that God interacts with us through covenant, how should that affect the way that we interact with God? We can come boldly, why? How should that affect the way that we think about sin and forgiveness? Bless you. Bless you. Goes back to pointing to the person of Christ. Hmm. Let it all come when it's in and over again. Hmm. But also that he doesn't remember me anymore. Because hmm. we have a remember. And we don't have to worry about, you know, is there anything I forgot to ask forgiveness for? Well, because it's already covered. It doesn't matter. Right. Not that we shouldn't feel regret and remorse, but uh, but it's nothing we have to hold on to. I had a guy come to me one time. He was he was worried of the the last church I was a part of, and he was he was worried because he was concerned that he wasn't partaking of communion correctly because he and because because he was cognizant of all these sins that he had done. And my point to him was, it's not about, that section about the warning isn't about, like, making some kind of sacrifice for your sin so you can come to him clean. It's about recognizing the fact that you need a redeemer. So, it's so easy in church, because there's so much talk about morality, we see it, we're commanded to live moral lives there's so much but it's so easy for us to default into some type of rule keeping group and we have this sort of sense that I'm not worthy if I'm not keeping the rules or I am worthy because I'm keeping them pretty well and if other people are or are not then it affects the way I see them I view myself as inferior or superior to them according to how well they're performing but if we understand that God interacts with us through covenant and it's what he instituted it, he did it, it's taken care of, he paid the penalty, he's a mediator, he paid the conditions, he took care of all of that, then, boy, it changes the way I view sin and forgiveness. Well, also, Jesus. Hmm. And also levels the playing field. Absolutely. You can't really compare yourself. And that, you know, but it's easy. So it affects the way that we call people to Christ because we're not calling them to a moral life. We're calling them to believe in this covenant love of God that he has set upon them and to trust him for that. And it affects the way that we, um, the way that we view our own sinfulness because we understand that there is an anchor that holds our righteousness. It's not tenuous and shifting. There's an anchor that holds it, and that is the covenant that God, when it says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth, that means God covenanted with himself 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before the world began, before you were ever a gleam in your Father's eye, before you ever sinned your first or your last sin, he covenanted, I will make a people for my own possession. I will purchase them. I will redeem them by my work. And that's an anchor that holds us, the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that's why we worship him, and that's why we call other people to him gladly, and that's why we give ourselves gladly to him, because he has placed that covenant love upon us. Let's pray. Wombat's going to come up. It's the last time um, that Wombat's going to lead us in worship as he and Angela are making the transition to beach. So um, let's really soak it in and enjoy it. And you better bring it because it's your, it's your last one. There's only one hour.